right. <laughs> Go on then. You done theme tune yet, Digo? Uh, are you going to hum it? Yes, there is a few. You it's hum playing, the theme tune and you know I'll what? do the, the intro. The funny thing is, it's playing right now, Charlie. Yeah, okay. It's playing right now. Dun, 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 but um, you don't know about post-production, the problem is. Yeah, that is my yes, problem. It's called post-production. So it's playing now, probably, and you've just asked if I've done it. Okay, good. And it so wouldn't it's matter because it's playing anyway. Welcome to uh, an episode, another episode of, what's it called, Charlie? Bad Cop, Sad Cop. Bad Cop, Sad Cop. <laughs> With Charlie Bones and myself. <laughs> Digo. We get out. everything out of the um, suspect. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> the um, guest we have today. First guest. First guest. That we um, truly appreciate you taking time out. Yeah. Is Sarah, uh, who I know from back in the day as being the premier. Uh, DJ, agent, and promoter of the um, what would I what would he call it? Uh, Post rave culture, drum and bass scene. Is that a fair enough description, sir? Yes, that's kind of a pretty good description. Mm. Obviously, prior to the drum and bass thing, mm. um, it was more just the. Acid House scene. Oh, scene, yeah. So I pretty much started raving mm. in 1989 mm. and was just going to the big raves, following certain DJs. Uh, had literally was just finishing my uh, degree at Goldsmiths. Oh, you went to Goldsmiths? Yeah. Oh, well, hello. What was the degree? Oh, did you? Yeah. I, no, no, I'm just saying, I, I didn't know. Oh, yeah, no, I did. I, I did um, communications and sociology. Okay. Did that help in the agent world? Well, it helped in terms of I got really into the whole angle of uh, subculture, youth culture. And so when I then started raving and just felt this amazing kind of energy and uh, vibe from the whole rave scene, I just thought, wow, this is uh, youth culture and a major turning point yet again. Mm. That's how I viewed it. So had a real uh, crazy final year. I'm surprised I actually got my degree in the end because I was just raving. And um, was supposed to go and do a producer's course at the BBC. Mm. Had been uh, accepted to do that. And then thought, actually, I can't do this. I want to rave. <laughs> really? Your, yeah. your reasoning for not taking up a course... The, 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 the production within the, the BBC was because you just wanted to continue wait, raving. Yeah, it was so strong, the impulse. That really? That much? Yeah, that bad. Digos have never felt that. I don't, yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, come on now. No, I wow, mean, it's yeah. amazing to me. No, it was. I just, like, I just, whether it was the uh, California Sunshines, the, the Doves, whatever it was, mm. but something caught me. Mm. Right there at the beginning, I thought, no, I, I'm not ready to go into what seemed to be a very sort of uh, institution. institution again. Yeah, yeah mm. I, I sort of thought, no, I've got to be freer than this. So, so this was your gap year that it was going to be, really? It was. <laughs> it was. So the I thought I'd have a gap year of raving. Gap year Every last? white guest gets the gap year shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you know what? <laughs> I've had it. You got it. <laughs> uh, well, actually, yeah. <laughs> the gap year. <laughs> No, it wasn't. I was absolutely broke. My mm. dad said he was going to disown me because I refused to go to the BBC. Oh, of course, Dad. Of course. <laughs> and, um, and so then I thought, right, I've got to get a job. And I ended up getting a job working at 19 Management, CMO and 19 Management, mm. where uh, Simon Fuller okay. and Danny D, D-Mob. So mm. I was literally just an accounts assistant. So they'd sit me down with a pile of receipts and I'd just have to go through everyone's fat returns and receipts and put them in piles and just look at tour budgets, mm. which, okay, I wasn't into the VAT side of things, but it became very interesting to me just looking at how record companies and agents and management companies were actually structuring tours. Mm. Uh, simultaneously, I was raving like crazy. So that's where you was getting the inside scoop before... You ended up doing what you're doing, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just suddenly thought, wow. You know, I was raving. I was thinking, I can see that DJs and the pulling power of the rave scene and the amount of people going to the raves was so huge and such a new phenomenon. Mm. I just thought, you know what? I think DJs 
are going to need some kind of structure like this or it could help. Mm. So, um, and on, on the other side of things, I was living in Brixton. I, I'd already met um, Jumper Jack Frost and Brian G. They were already friends of mine. Mm. I was listening to them on all the pirates at MASH and he was working at MASH on uh, Oxford Circus. Okay. And I was listening to Passion Radio and Lightning Radio. And um, so I just was throwing around ideas, you know, like maybe I could start something like this. Mm. And that consequently is when I actually met Caroline Robertson from Westbury Music. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that was at, well. well, no, first of all, at CMO 19, she used to come in externally and she was like a publishing executive. Mm. So she'd come in and do the publishing mm. for CMO 19 management for like Jesus and the Mary Chain. Um, oh, I can't even remember the other artists mm -hmm. now. I have to think. But she used to come in and do work. And I, I sort of just, I got on well with her straight yeah. away. You know, we sort of clicked. And I told her my idea of what I, I was thinking I wanted to do. And she just said, you know what, Sarah, just go for it, mm. fake it till you make it. You know, you live in Brixton, I've got an office. If you want an office, I'll mm. give you office space. Mm. So it kind oh, of... That's, that's a nice... She said, well, she said to me, mm. come back to me if, if, you need, if you're serious about yeah, yeah. this. Mm. There was another interlude. I then met Frankie Valentine, okay. who was uh, based in Kensal Rye Studios. And he, he said he knew somebody who was trying to... She was running a management company and had a desk that I could probably take there. And because he was a DJ and on the rave scene, we sort of cobbled together an idea that uh, he wanted to set up a DJ's union. Okay. Which wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Mm. But, you know, we sort of got together. And for a time, I set up a company with him. or We started working under the name DJs United from Kensal Rise Studios. Okay. And that was in 1989. Same. I left CMO 19. Mm. I was raving too much. The hours weren't working for me. <laughs> I had to kind of come up with something else that worked better for me. See, all right. <laughs> so who was your first book, your book signing? Well, at DJs United, I was working, there was literally 30 DJs from Paul Oakenfold, Carl Cox, um, Fabio Groove Rider, Mickey Finn, mm. Frankie Valentine, Matthew B, DJ Rap. There were loads of people I was in contact with. Mm. So... Um, the, the the very first booking was actually for a club in Coventry. And um, it came in and they wanted, obviously, um, Fabio and Groove Rider because they'd been to some of the big raves and wanted them. And when the first money came in, I was literally just funneling everything through into this other lady's account. And unfortunately, from the very first booking, I realised something was amiss. Oh, and no. the very first money just went missing. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, it wasn't good. I, f I found out that she was like bankrupt and in massive debt and the money went into a bank account that had huge debts. I couldn't pay the DJs. Mm. And so from the very first booking, it was like, well, this is ridiculous. Mm. If anything's going to mess up a new concept, that was it. Yeah, yeah let's get that, let's enforce that point because before this started, we were just chilling and, and you said I would describe myself as the first agent. Mm. So, yeah, how was that when you... First, before the money went missing, what was it like trying to persuade these DJs that you were... <laughs> Who's trying is that? Is he your... It's mine. I'm sorry, guys. Forgot to put it on silent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. It was Digo's phone last time. It happens. Oh, it, it just... Oh, Where is it? Is it? Why? What's with the the, the the baiting me up and everything? I'm sorry. I just was getting it all morning. It's just it's I'm, just I'm passing through. Today, I know. It's just today, it, Charlie. I got set up bad. Okay. No, but no, fine's happening. Sorry about yeah. that. No, but how easy was it to persuade these DJs that you wouldn't? Were they like, oh, where have you been all my life? Or were they like, wait, what are you on about? No, but I mean, let's be honest. These guys were. It it was a new phenomenon. Even DJing. I mean, you had yeah. your sort of. There were a few of the other older sort of funk soul DJs on the circuit doing the mm. weekenders and stuff. I think the rave scene just opened up this huge... It's a total new industry starting totally. up. Totally. Yeah. And people didn't even know it was going to be like that. Because really it wasn't really bookings then. Most of like Fabio and Groove Rider obviously have rage and they were like residents well, no, more yeah, of... Well, yeah, they weren't even... They were just upstairs at that time. Yeah. And things weren't really happening. To be honest, nobody was getting paid. Mm. Like they'd go <laughs> and pay at bi play at biology or energy. Mm play a five-hour set or a three-hour set and get 25 quid. Yeah. You know, so it, it was a whole new thing, you know, and obviously they were doing what they loved, playing music, doing what they wanted. And I think... And that, being taken advantage of. And totally being taken advantage yeah. of, yeah. 
And it was kind of like, I just thought, hold on, well, there's something wrong here. Mm. Um, so when I first suggested it, they were all like a bit sceptical, couldn't quite believe it. Um, just, well, give it a go, you know, if you think it can work, mm. why not? You know, we're up for it if you're worth, if it's worth a try. Mm. Um, so obviously after the first debacle with all the money going missing, it kind of like, it did actually come to proper blows. Yeah. Because uh, the other lady, she was running a management company, so she wasn't in doing the DJ thing. She was working with a more rock-orientated mm. act. So we got into a big argument, and it did come to a, literally a physical fight across a desk. Oh, bloody hell. Wow. Yeah, with me saying, all right, I'm going to go with my box of contacts. Mm. That was the point at which I phoned Caroline Robertson. And yeah. She was like, yeah, come, come, come in, over, man. come to Brixton, take the office, see what you can do. It's funny, it's like a lot of us, like, I've had incidences early on in doing what we was doing where you know you got stunned and you could you, you're like you know because you're totally new to it or whatever i mean i think you fished it out quick quite quick it sounds like because of your experience uh, working the um the, the accounts before yeah the accounts been that's why you was probably but we had a, a situation with one of on our first few releases we didn't get paid because the, the the distributor went bankrupt yeah right and we sold a whole load of records and the, who you was know, that? It wasn't vinyl distribution, no, was Pacific. it? Pacific. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same. We were the same distributor with Shotgun Dance and stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? So we had we had that lesson, like early on. You yeah, know what right. I mean? And you were telling me about this, like you you got a little like, all right, this is how it could go as well. So it's like you know, it helps you to kind of like, I don't know, what, what, to well, be vigilant with uh, everything you're doing afterwards, I guess. Yeah, and I think then you have to kind of like think, right? Well, if I'm going to set a standard here, I'm just going to have to go it alone. Mm. Yeah. And at that point, I just thought DJs United was too big. It, it was a good idea to set up a union for DJs. Mm. Maybe something there's still a gap for now. Mm. But I just thought, no, I, I, I'd rather focus in on a smaller set of DJs. Mm. And because I obviously had friendships and most of the guys that I was working with closely were actually sort of the South London boys, really. Yeah. I then decided to focus in and uh, just work with a much smaller group of people, which was still Frankie Valentine, mm. Jumping Jack Frost, Brian G, Mickey Finn, Fabio and Groove Rider. Mm. That was the start. And DJ Rap. And Dave Angel, actually, at the start. Oh, he was Dave also, Angel, yeah. yeah, from oh, South I London. I know that name from London. Yeah. Boys, yeah. So literally, I started up Groove Connection literally in the um, beginning of 1990. Mm. So it's the 30th anniversary this year of the sort of whole Groove Connection thing. Nice. Wait, did you repair those relationships with the people that didn't get paid or was that was that hard work to get them back on? To side? be honest, I just, I told them what had yeah. happened. Mm. You know, they knew I hadn't personally had the yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this wasn't a huge amount of money, mm. yeah. but I said, all right, I'm just going to have to cut my ties there. Mm. I'm yeah. going to come back over south and we'll focus back in on what we're doing. And... You know, it was my idea to have more of a kind of a stable kind of thing going on. Um, and it was funny because right at the start, there was sort of animosity between Brian G and Frost and Fabio and Groove. They were sort of, they were on opposite pirate stations. Mm. There was little kind of like shuffling to, oh, well, we're not really into what they do. And there was, you know, back, back then everyone was in their own little crew. And I just sort of... Still the same, still the same. Bunch yeah. of kids. Yeah. Children. Yeah. Real children. Yeah. <laughs> little babies. Yeah. yeah. Baby boys. Yeah. And so I thought I'd come into Frost, the middle. Brian G, mm -hmm. Fabio Guru Rider, babies. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it was kind of like, well, you know, come on, we can all come together. Yeah. There's enough creativity strength here. In, strength and unity, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Strength and unity. Everyone can do their own thing, but yes. under a kind of umbrella. Mm. And that was the way I saw it right from the beginning. Mm. And, you know, I just thought I was trying to come from a different angle, maybe naive now in retrospect, but I thought contracts aren't worth the paper they're written on. Mm. I had this very strong feeling about that. Yeah. It's got to be based on loyalty. And as long as you're doing something that's carrying people forward and, and you're helping create something that works for everyone, that would win yeah. or that would work. Mm. Well, it does. I Obviously, mean, it, it, it can. can. It's, 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 a, it's, it is a wave that can, that that will, that you can carry through up to a certain uh, up to a certain point. It depends. I think with any union, it's you got. You know, there might be a like a, an umbrella of like this is the idea and where we're going. But no matter what, there are individuals, and some people have different 
moral codes, ethics, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And you're always going to get some that are not pulling in the same direction as the rest. That's, all, that's always, it's, it's, that's always uh, after a certain amount of time, it's, it's always going to happen. That's why it's amazing when you've got certain bands that are still together. Like, you know, like the Rolling Stones or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, most people, after a certain minute, they split up because like, you know what I mean? But on the other side of it, you don't really know what's gone on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't know whether they've had a major fallout on the yeah. on the quiet for yeah, five know, years yeah, yeah, yeah. and then come back. Mm. You know, and, and yeah, and that's the reality of it. Mm. People do have different moral codes, mm. or yeah, they suddenly think that maybe they'd be better off doing their own thing. Mm. So I think you know, at the start, none of them believed. Like, even if you read interviews they're doing now, none of them believed that they would still be working in this business 30 mm. years on. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it was like, well, it might last two years, it might last 10 years. Mm. You know, what am I going to do? Uh, you know, Groove Rider in particular was like, well, I don't know, you know, like by 30, there's no way this is going to be going on, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll have to be thinking about my next job, you know. Mm. And he'd come out of kind of computer programming. Mm. So, yeah, and that, that's the thing. Obviously, a lot of people... I'm starting to wonder now. Maybe you should give me a new question. But... I w- <laughs> I was interested, like on a graph paper. Let's considering you say you're the first agent, so mm-hmm. just and the '90s was, you know, the heyday of of DJ fees. You know, like the Fote had his black Ferrari, and you know, I don't know if that was all off records or they were doing six gigs a weekend. But like on the graph, how you know? Because obviously you've got to deal with the. If you are the first, you've got to set the standard. You know, the, yeah. the standard of the twenty percent cut for the agent, and how quick did you get those wages up to you know where they well, got? Well, uh, uh, to be honest, it was actually really funny. So obviously, went to Brixton, mm. set up my new bank account. Yeah, got three phone lines because got to remember there was no mobile phones then. Yeah, man. We had our three fax machine. We ha- we didn't even have a fax machine. Yeah, had fax it, machine. it hadn't even come out then. Had the landline. Oh god. It came oh, out yeah. literally <clears throat> two years after about. <laughs> so what year is this you're saying? When this you is 1990. Went solo. Yeah, yeah I had yeah. all I had was a phone which I thought was state of the art which had two incoming lines on it. That was yeah. my phone. <laughs> yeah. And then another line mm. which uh, cuz a good friend of mine Karina I was like, "Well, come on then you come and you answer that line. Mm. I'm doing this." We literally didn't even have office furniture and the phones had started <laughs> to ring. Mm. So it was actually unbelievable how fast it took off. I mean, we had the phone lines. Mm. I, was, it was word of mouth. The DJ said, right from now on, call Sarah. Mm. I just said, like, you're going to have to get them to call me. You know, at the start, I mean, it was actually like a war at the beginning because all, like, the big time rave promoters didn't want to pay. Don't want to pay. So no. they know, they know, no. If they speak to you, they know they've got to pay. So yeah. they're trying yeah. to go direct with the, with the well, DJ. Well, they wouldn't even respect me. It was kind of like, well, who are you? Like they didn't even want to speak and, to me. And mm. before you, they would have been going direct, right? They were going direct. Yeah. They would yeah, just yeah. they'd just walk into a record shop or hit up the re- pirate radio and just yeah. say, "Come and yeah, come yeah, and play." Yeah. You yeah. know, you might play an hour, or you might get left on the decks for five hours mm. yeah. and still get twenty twenty five quid. Yeah, you know, so it was kind of like. So so when 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 you had those those first calls, <laughs> and, you, and you had to establish your position. Yeah. How how did you how how did you go about that? How how was well, that? Well, I'm quite well known. I mean, you might know about my kind of like I've forgotten the word. Your business style. My business style. People <laughs> just thought, well, the thing is, right? I actually think I've I've got a problem with phones for a start. Yeah. So phones wasn't the ideal mechanism for me, mm. especially when it got really really busy. Mm. So I would be exceptionally abrupt. Mm. very to the point and quite rude. That's mm. just, that's how I come across. Mm. And it was just like all these bolshy men that you meet in the sort of promotion world, mm. they're like, well, you know, what the fuck's this posh girl doing trying mm. to tell me this, that and the other? Yeah. Um, so I got all this animosity and I just like... But you got what they want though. Yeah. They wanted the DJs, mm. but also I don't back down. Mm. So then a few of them, I think the first couple of promoters would think, all right then, because the guys from Coventry... Mm like the first booking you've gone wrong with, they were kind of like, all right, well, obviously we want to work with you. Mm. So we started working at the uh, Eclipse in Coventry. Okay. That was pretty much the first gig. So everything else had been London-based until yeah. that point. And then mm. suddenly we could see that the scene was starting to blossom and move up the country. So the Eclipse in Coventry gave me a job. And I think at the beginning, I mean, they were real kind of market store guys. They were mm. really off-key. Like they were proper kind of like crew mm. running the Midlands. So... um I think they initially agreed to me, all right, yeah, we'll pay her the deposits, but then when she comes up here, you know, we'll see if we can knock her or whatever. Mm. You know, there was definitely, every new contact, it was very much like this. So I was just like very much, well, it's going to, like straight away I tried to charge £250 a set. Mm. This was my thing. Okay, so this was the the first bookings was £250. I go, right, 
like, you know, you guys have got to start respecting your worth. Mm. You know, if they're pulling that many people and they're charging that much on the door, we've got to do something here. So mm. I'm going to try and jump it up. And I have to say, it, it did kind of work. When they realised I wasn't going to back down, they agreed to that, yeah. sent the deposits, which all went in nicely. Mm. And then obviously I used to then travel with the guys because up to the venues at the start. Most mm. of the events wow. we did were like Groove Connection nights. Okay. So I was already trying to push the kind of Groove Connection yeah, yeah. sort of stable a bit, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyone that could afford more than one or two DJs would do a sort of a Groove Connection night. Mm. So, you know, so then I'd be there and the guys were like, well, go on then, Sarah, you, you go and get the money. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so I'd end up having to go into these little back room kind of cupboards. Because, yeah. you know, uh, you've got to remember, like, uh, those, those days... Um, Serious. That it was the people that were putting on these events. How can I say? Shotgun in the top yeah. drawer of they the were, desk. Yeah, they yeah. were people who they did were. things, who did things, yeah. and you know, were selling things as well. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what I mean? it weren't. You know, what I mean? the underworld definitely came in quick. Well, these guys a were a hundred percent underworld. Right. Yeah. I'm really trying well. to. <laughs> you know, hey. I think they're probably quite proud of it. Hands up here. Some of them are still inside at yeah. this time. Okay. Um, half of them not around anymore. Yeah, I see. Yeah. It's amazing that you came in and put uh, uh, over this whole new order to the thing. It's, it's incredible because hmm. the loyalty from your artists as well. You must have been so proud because obviously these guys would have been like, oh, fuck this, I'll just try and call Frost himself or something and say, look, she wants this, but I can hmm. give you this and let's just forget about it, you know? Which happens a lot still. Mm. And yeah. yet they stuck with you and said, okay, no, I'm going to stay loyal. That's amazing. Well, do you know what? The cutting corners didn't happen until a little bit later. Yeah. Um, the at the start, up. I think people were kind of like, well, you know, this we've actually got a point of contact now. Mm. You know, you've got to remember, even for the raves, you'd have to wait and yeah. word of mouth, you'd have to go and wait at a phone box to find out yeah. where the rave was going to be. So it was actually, no one knew how to actually book DJs. So mm. when they all came up with these new ideas to start club nights and whatever... Mm. And sell dodgy tapes, which was a lot of the undercurrent oh, yeah, of that. There was that as well. Yeah. They were taping the sets and selling yeah. them. Yeah, and, and these guys in Coventry were like some of the biggest mm. suppliers of tapes around the whole Midlands and up north. You know, so it's kind so, of like. So how 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 when when you had those kind of situations happen? How what what you know what could you do and what did you do, if anything? Well, it was just tons of arguments, you know. Yeah. Checking and like, me out on the mixing desk. <laughs> yeah, looking to see. Or otherwise, you know, a lot of the time we'd find out too late. They were already, already all over the country, yeah, selling yeah. everywhere, you know. Yeah. So then we're like, well, we're not coming back mm. unless you pay us for the tapes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we didn't ever get what we were supposed to get from the tapes. But, yeah. you know, 500 quid here mm. or there to share between people, you mm. know, it became a thing where we tried to do it that way. Mm. But, but it surely helps as well raise the... Interest in the yeah. art. It helps a bit, but then it's yeah, like, you know, still as we know, a lot of money getting made. <laughs> yeah, no, mm. there was people were getting rich, and okay, mm. I'd put their money up to 250 for the big guys. Mm. You know, obviously, the lesser names were still getting 100 yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but the work just blew up literally within mm. the first year. I reckon I was working with at least 50 promoters on a regular basis. Mm. You know, suddenly stuff started cropping up at After Dark in Leeds. And you were going to all these nights as well. Well, like, yeah, I mean... You she's pl- still got the rave bug in yeah, her. That's I know. Why. Like, I, still, I still, still go now. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, but I did it because I loved it. You yeah. know, mm. now, just because uh, the nature uh, oh, of the scene and how, changes. And, how, and so how, how is that? Like, you know, you've obviously got a head for business and you, you, you know, uh, uh, you knew about the numbers and stuff. But you're also doing something you, you you love. How how is it like balancing like trying to get the business right and not you know and then you know because the, the creative side the love and the passion for it all that can be like oh yeah but it'd be a great thing to do or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But then the other part's like hey we gotta get paid. Mm. And how was it for you like doing these events and stuff like to to want to do something but 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 actually make sure you was getting yeah the right that you know you know. Because well, sometimes a great idea can make you can spin off in one that totally in that direction and forget about, you know, yeah, the, business. What, the costings of it, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But basically, yeah, when, when did the change happen when you were out in the crowd dancing and enjoying it to becoming the person that stood in the booth behind the DJ just looking very serious? No. <laughs> I, say, I, I say, we, we ain't got this deposit this week. Yeah. <laughs> no, do you know what? I never did that. I was there in my hot pants, Always my, in the my crowd. thigh-length boots, Always bra, dancing, dripping with sweat, and mm. then some, one of the DJs say, Sarah, go and get the money. Oh, mm. God. So then I was down there in the office 
surrounded like one step one time I remember I went downstairs and it was actually the first time in Coventry I always remember this because they thought right we're going to see if this girl can back up her words yeah. on a one to one mm. yeah. so we'll get her into the office yeah when it comes to the, the money intimidation <coughs> techniques yeah. how many mm. just like I went in there guys. there was like literally six of them yeah. oh, sat around big big like classic technique classic off key middens guys well I just stood there mm. and looked at them all. I was kind of like and they're like, right then, okay. And I said, right, I've come for the money. Mm. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, yeah, you owe this, you know. But then just realise it, then it became a very intricate balance of almost flirting, mm. but not backing down. Oh, mm. my God. I was never going to back down. Yeah, yeah. And very quickly kind of got a banter going with all those kind of guys. And they realised that however posh I sounded on the phone, I was mm. actually mm. quite easy to deal with, but mm. I wasn't going to get messed around with. yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and they respected that. And they did respect yeah. it, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, it could have gone the so other way. Got, so you got to do with all that. Yeah. Like, they're like, 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 I'm just, you know what I mean? I, I, I'm just thinking now, like, you got these dudes there, you know, you're a woman on your own inside there, and then you, you, have, to, you have to, you know, navigate the kind of the flirty thing as well to, mm. that's like. Yeah, it was, it, it was strange because it's really funny but obviously people look at like Fabio and Groove Rider Frost and Brian they think yeah they're big guys they'd have no problem mm. going in there mm. like no one's knocking me mm. some of them are really good at that you know mm. but some of them don't want to do it at all yeah, don't want to not. be seen they, they don't want that to be their area at mm. all they don't even want to have to say where's my money yeah. if someone doesn't walk up to them with an envelope mm. then it's kind of like they'll even go as far as leaving the event mm. and not being paid afterwards yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm. which then in itself kicked up loads of loads of problems for me because mm. then there were the ones that thought, well, I'll knock them then. Mm. Yeah. So then I'd have to get into this proper like bailiff-style kind mm. of like chase oh. yeah. after the event. Oh, after it's a night. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, the rule. You, you get paid yeah. on the night or it's a mess. Yeah, and it's something I had to really... Instead of, like You can't walk away, mm. even if you can't ask and you've got to phone me. So then I was getting phone calls. From all over the country in the middle of the and night. You'd like, have to drive on. up there. The well, children. Well, no, but you know, obviously, obviously. Oh my god. No, when it got wow. really established. I hope you charge double your percentage for those kind of nights. I didn't, and you know what? I always had a, I always had a, a <laughs> set fee of fifteen percent in the UK. Yeah. I, I took fifteen percent. Wow. So, so you're, so basically, you, you're not, you're not just a booking agent and so on. You're like, part. I don't know, PA or something. I don't know. Like, like. Well, yeah, it became, it was. Enforcer. It was like an, a bailiff, a PA, yeah. helping you do your flipping dry cleaning. Yeah. Now, obviously, I then went oh, on look, to dry have cleaning? Everything. There was all kinds of stuff. <laughs> because, you know, then these oh, guys... No, 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 no. <laughs> Examples of dry cleaning. I don't know. Some people are obsessed with dry cleaning. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> For the amount of money that was going on dry cleaning. Oh, okay, all right. I, I remember certain people's wardrobes. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's, that's that answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So then, obviously, you know, I did then start going out with Fabio. Mm. You know, now a lot of people think I was with Fabio and then I thought, oh, I'll be his agent. Mm. I, it wasn't like that. It was mm. completely the other way around. Mm. I was already an agent. Mm. You're getting no love for so, the, so, so, the hard so, so, all right, so, all right, I don't want to... Get into your 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 yeah. your, your personal business with yeah. with, with a probably, but like that you know, there's a line in it with um you know you're working with this person and that and then that and how was there a point you're like oh, is this a good idea was it or how how was it was it just a or was it just a natural thing it just there was to no... be honest it was actually a natural thing mm. but I can't realistically say if that's what then started getting the other guys to feel a little bit marginalised or different because mm. now obviously as the scene progressed everyone naturally well from the outset everyone had their own style of DJ mm. and we were so at the beginning of the scene that as it started to grow people were sort of honouring their own styles so that's mm. when it was around 1993, 94 that everyone started setting up their own labels mm. yeah. and I was very much more into at this point there was a the much more melodic sound was starting to come along mm. Fabio was into that sound. Um, Bookham had, was was asking me to join the agency at this time mm. as well. Yeah. So it was kind of like, okay. Um, I just felt that my my lovers, as the jungle scene got a bit more kind of, 
I don't know. The, ch- the scene changed, mm. and I love Jungle, mm. but I it, it started it took a downturn mm. in around ninety two, ninety three, mm. and a lot of the guys from the more sort of ragga scenes and the reggae scenes started coming in, mm. and it was good. But then there was this there was a lot of fighting suddenly started on the scene, mm-hmm. yeah. and at the same time there was also all this really different kind of more melodic stuff coming out. Mm. So there's kind of like there was a it wasn't quite. There wasn't really an output, an outlet for the more melodic stuff, mm. and um, I'd actually even got LTJ Bookham a, a booking at Dreamscape in Milton Keynes, mm. a big rave, because at that point people really trusted my word. It was kind of like we'd almost set up this whole scene, mm. so it's like people come to say, Sarah, who's good? Who do you recommend? Yeah, yeah. So at that point, it was really like as long as I recommended it, people They'll would go it, yeah. they'd go with it, mm. yeah. you know, because there was suddenly more clubs and there were DJs of that ilk to fill mm. the nights. Mm. So then people started being a bit more adventurous. And um, I'd heard Bookham playing uh, at Confusion mm. and and I really liked his style, but couldn't quite see how he'd fit in with the whole scene at that mm. point, because he was uh, very melodic at that point. Mm. And wasn't working, he wasn't getting any bookings at that point. It was like really like he had an odd booking here or there. And so he went to Dreamscape and they put him in like the second room or the third room. And I got a call like first thing on the Monday morning with someone going, well, what the hell did you get me booking for? What, what was that? Mm. Everyone was sitting down. Like no one was dancing. Like mm. people were just sitting on the floor around the walls. And I was like, really? It's like, yeah, but it's a, it's a different thing. Mm. It, Murray from Dreamscape at the time was like, well, uh, don't send him here again. Mm. I mean, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But um, obviously, you know, he, uh, I knew Danny on a personal level around this time, and he was making the most amazing music, and um, and so then we found ourselves getting more sucked towards sort of this whole. It wasn't even called drum and bass then. Mm. You know, I, I, I hate blowing my own trumpet. I'm not going to start going on about that, but um, you know, we did sit down for hours, Book and Fabio and myself, trying to think how are we going to make a difference with the jungle yeah. sound and how are we going to call it this? What are we going to call it? Mm. Where was the venue that found a home for that? That was the Mars Bar. Right. Or the Milk Bar. Yeah. Uh, Sutton Row. Local. That was Speed, that was, yeah. That was Speed, that was speed yeah. Isn't it, yeah. Now, the thing was, there was a guy called Leo who wanted to set up a... It was He actually wanted to set up a jung, jungle drum and bass night. Mm. So he had started on the uh, Wednesday night, I think it was. Yeah, or yeah, the, the Wednesday night originally. Mm. And he'd run four weeks and... There was no one there, but he was a little bit... The, the scene was really kind of quite confusing at that stage. You mm. either had the real jungle things, and obviously Frost, Brian, Groove Rider were much more... Mickey Finn, they were much more embedded into the whole jungle sound. Yeah. Fabio was still playing those gigs, but had already started to feel that it wasn't quite for him, and he wasn't getting so many bookings on the jungle scene. Mm. So this is when everything started sort of fracturing and splintering. So um, yeah. Leo came to me and just said, Sarah, you know, like, it's not working. I want, I want to do something, but it's not working. I've got the venue. Mm. Do you want to work with me? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. But I think you're going to have to make a real difference at this point because I was going out a lot and seeing what was happening with you. I said, you, you know, you're not going to be able to combine the jungle scene and then put through that new form of music at that time. It just mm. wasn't happening. Yeah. Um, I'd already tried to do an experiment and I, at the uh, End of the Dragon. The park in Kensington. It's called a club called The Park in Kensington. And I'd, I'd tried to do something called Furore stupid name but mixing house jungle and dnb mm. and literally all the djs came but nobody else came that's we, really odd because rage started like that and got big and then you're saying it got much more strict it got fractured yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I've, kind, I've kind of jumped out the rage bit though no i know but like i'm just saying where you know yeah. i just had them on the radio and you know saying you know they helped spawn this the whole jungle thing yeah. But it started with all the house DJs, a uh, big mix. And then it went super sort of, what's the word, uh, orthodox. And mm. to the point that you couldn't have a mix again. It's quite an odd arc. No, but you know what? I think the scene was, that's what I'm saying. It was very odd. It was just like suddenly all this creativity, all these people who loved it. Yeah. And very quickly it just started to kind of mutate and yeah. change direction. And then people were so fast to jump on how they coined their little bit. Yeah. You know, um, it you it wasn't you couldn't kind of contain the whole thing. Yeah. And I think obviously Rage did start with the house stuff. 
you know, and yeah. and then the, the and all the American Brains House, and, whatnot, yeah. and then the the sort of the London uh, like first of all they'd start speeding up a lot of the American House, yeah, uh, and then the real London sound started to come through, mm. um, yeah. you know, which then everyone was like, well, yeah, this is this is even more happening yeah. for us, and so Fabio and Groove were then moved down from upstairs at yeah. Rage down to the main floor, yeah. and Trevor, uh, no, Colin Favor and those guys were moved back upstairs. Mm. Um, and that's when the jungle thing completely just took off. Yeah. But it was, in the early days, it, it wasn't so much, it didn't have so many of the vocal overlays of like mm. the sort of ragged jungle kind of thing. Right. It was very much just the break beats and that kind of But it's of weird explosion. because I'm getting to basically, you were saying you re really had to sort of, you struggled because you tried to keep it open. And then speed, yeah. you had to start again almost bringing in, it, it, it's just quite odd that such a, yeah. it's such a wide plural Seen that Fabio and Groove were putting down, yeah, and then it got really strict, and then you had to start. So but how then, quick did it take to get speed off the ground? Well, so then what happened? Obviously, Leo and I had this meeting, and I was like, okay, but I think we're going to have to concentrate on this new sound because there was suddenly this all this new music coming, yeah, like which has become drum and bass. You know, mm. like and at the start, everyone people calling it intelligent or intelligent, this that. Yeah. I mean, pathetic. Yeah, I love but, intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> Really, mm. yeah. <laughs> so I just said to Leo, let's do it different. Let's make because uh, Groove was still much more into his jungle thing at that time, mm. yeah. and Rage was just coming to an end. And um, I said, let's do Fabio and Bookham because they're both like following this more melodic kind of ilk. And then I'll come in with it and we'll try that. Mm. And he was like, mm, well, I'm not sure. You know, I wanted a, I wanted Kenny Ken and Groove, and I was like, okay, but you know, it is definitely pulling a different crowd at the moment. Yeah. If we're going to establish something slightly different, let's let's give it a go. So literally, we moved it from the Wednesday to the Thursday, and within we had five weeks where it was pretty. We were just on the cusp of thinking, oh, it's not going to work, mm. and then literally the numbers just started pouring in. You know, obviously the press got onto it, or yeah. the A and R guys were coming down. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly, it became David the place Bowie. to be. Yeah. David Bowie, Prince Nassim Hamid, yeah, 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 yeah. Cleveland, Goldie, yeah. uh, everyone started turning up. Bjork. Yeah, of course. I was still on the door at this point, getting a really bad name for myself, Mrs. Rude on the door. <laughs> Militant. You got to be, you got to be, you got to be firm because you otherwise you won't, no, you don't get no money. You don't get yeah. just walk in. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Turned away Prince Nassim Hamid <laughs> in his heyday. That's how it goes sometimes. <laughs> short man. Yeah, yeah I didn't know who he was at that point. And I thought, oh no. <laughs> but you know, these things happen. That's how it goes, it went down as one of the. Our, we all got our he tried. He must have had a huge entourage. He did. And he tried to get them all in for free. Yeah, there was about go. ten of them. Walked yeah, straight to the front, tried to push. Yeah, and I was and, like, and, no, and, no, and no, no. And you just had a multi-million fan boxing battle. Whatever, yeah, really. Come on, just pay for your film coming. Yeah, exactly. No, this is the underground. This ain't. This ain't string fellas around the corner. <laughs> nah. Big difference. Yeah. So I respect that. String fellas. <laughs> yeah, it's the truth, isn't it? So, you know, I mean, it was a small venue, and in the end, people were queuing from nine o'clock to get yeah. in for ten. Um, what time did it close? Two or three. Oh, I think it, it was a two o'clock finish. Yeah. yeah. But it just became an institution. It just completely went crazy. And what was the capacity in there? 200. Wow. 250, small. absolute max, small. Yeah. Good sound. Um, System. No, but, but not you know great. I've, I've I've noticed with when people are like when you're trying to push forward a different sound or whatever, it doesn't matter how 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 big the place is. It it, it matters that there is a place for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And from that alone, it you can have things grow from that. You know, people will come from, you know, people will come from places in Europe just for that night. They'll, yeah. they'll you know, I think the tourist board in in England. Missed the trick with like knowing about holiday ravers. Yeah, they'll come and they're like, they know they're going to speed on a Thursday, they might be going to this on the Sunday, and they're going to whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's their their week or five days in London, you know. I mean, there's a lot of that happening as well. Oh, know? yeah, and still to this day, you know, like yeah. people going to Berlin as well now, you know, yeah, or whatever. So, no, loads of yeah, people matter. coming over the from abroad. Just like, like knowing it's, it exists and there's a place for it, and you can go there, yeah, you know, that's like. That's how most things are. Nothing starts just with 10,000 people under a tent somewhere. It's just, it doesn't go like that. No. You know what I mean? And then from there, you end Talking up. about Velvet Rooms, Stigma? No, we're not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Velvet Rooms, what? Did you do something about Velvet yeah, Rooms? Yeah. Did you ever see yeah, well, Digo back in the day play? He won't talk about his early days DJing. Did you catch him anywhere? Uh, 
said no, she wouldn't have, I don't think. Okay. No. I just wanted to... No, yeah, I kind of... That was the weirdo that came to no. play the... F- I played the first... No- this is my proud moment when it comes to that world. Right. right? I'm going to say this. This is my bragging moment, okay? okay? I played at the very first night uh, uh, Metalhead session in, at the Blue Note. Yeah? Okay? yeah okay. I played the very first one. Oh. And I played techno music. <laughs> and I played Bug in the oh, Basement no, at, well, the normal, I was there. at the I normal went. speed. <laughs> of course, and I, yeah. that. and I was never asked to play again. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, Digo? I was there. I was there. So you I were there. You I, I went to the first one. I went to everyone. I didn't see. miss them. I was there every week. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, because that's the thing. Like, Metalheads yeah. and the whole Blue Note thing started mm. literally a couple of months after Speed mm. or a little, I don't know exactly how long, I can't remember. Mm. Mm. Some of the things get debated of what came first, but um, mm. yeah, um, it was speed first, and of then course, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then obviously then we went to Blue Note. Mm. I was, we were there because Fabian Groove was still resident at Blue Note, mm. pretty much all the time. I yeah. did hear you play. I have mm. seen. I have seen you play. I don't want to say I've not because mm. I have, mm. and especially in later days, I've definitely seen you play. Mm. Um, I would but, just want to get a glimpse of him from way back then. Well, you know what? From way I, back I, then, I, I was, I'll was, tell you, he was really him. mute. Yeah, quite quiet and moody quiet. and Still kind like of um, couldn't so. tell if it was out of a kind of like a just. Uh, well, I don't know why, but I, I, you know, you were with Reinforced then, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, and you were still like involved with all the really good early Reinforced tracks, weren't you? Mm. Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry, exactly. Going. Some of the yeah. best tunes ever. You yeah. know, they were still there at Rage every Maximum week. Okay, this is, uh, we're talking about Sarah today. Thanks. Anyway. No, <laughs> we can talk about Digo, you know. This, Someone that I've always had a lot of respect for, actually. Yeah. You know, and I met you through, I knew that you guys were linked with Westbury Music. Hmm. Gus, uh, Gus worked with Another, Caroline, yeah, didn't he, yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, you know, there were always overlaps from the early mm. days, you know. Yeah. I just thought you were doing your own path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we can we go back to a, a thing that was kind of glossed over just for mm. some insight? Yeah, because you were talking about dating Fabio, right? And and I was going to say, well, that was going to be kind of whatever the personal, the easy side because his career was doing really well. But you were saying no, actually, that was a time when his bookings were going down. I just want to talk about what it's like DJ dating a DJ because I have a lot of troubles with this. You know, partners don't really get like the, the sort of stress of a DJ. Do you know what I mean? Like, ah, oh, it's not going well. This gig sucked. Did it? I don't know if necessarily want to speak about Fabio, but that kind of dealing with a DJ is quite a hard thing to get your head oh, around. So every Monday you're getting calls, probably. I'm sorry, it was horrible. Yeah, like, it was awful. There's, there's, there's only 30 people there. Or, or Sarah, oh, oh God, they, they lost yeah, the records. I was wondering <laughs> Sarah, if you could give any advice for future partners on how to sort of care properly for a DJ. Well, do you no know one what? understands what a DJ They think it's all like VIP life with flights and whatever else no 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 and it's and it's really not but because no, not. because you. we were there at the start yeah. and we created something we grew as we grew it grew <laughs> so it was almost like mm. a organic kind of okay just kept getting bigger so and it's bigger just exciting you're saying the whole thing was exciting it was exciting and, it and like there were times jaded. when fabio started to say to me you know all right well maybe pull me back a bit from some of those jungle things i'd rather like yeah. obviously the speed thing was really taking off mm. and then from that then that had a spin-off and i suddenly started getting loads more bookings for fabio and bookham mm. all of a sudden everyone was suddenly really into bookham yeah. you know mm. the people that didn't get his style before suddenly got it and did you have a nice little celebration dinner with uh, with Bookham when he was like, yeah, we made it. I knew I, I knew it would happen. Well, did we he know it would happen. We, or was he freaking out a bit? No, no, no. I think I think he was always really sort of confident in the kind of music he made and yeah. that sound. Um, so and, and it just went out of control before we knew it. We were getting, you know, dats from, you know, guys up in Newcastle, the very first dats from Calibre when yeah, he was like right. mowing the lawn in Belfast, you know, the very first eight track stuff that I got uh, from him. mowing the lawn got to do with sending the dat? I don't understand. Well, Sorry, do you what? know what? No, he was a gardener and he was, oh, okay, got, so uh, he, that, that was his job. He was a gardener okay. in, right, in know. Belfast <laughs> at the church. Right. He, used to, he used to mow the church lawns. Right. Got this dat or uh, I think it was dat. Yeah, he was mowing the lawn, <laughs> okay. making music. No, and he had a like little eight track. Okay, cool. So and this is the beginning of good looking, is what you're talking about. The artist that. No, Caliber was creative source yeah, was. actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought Fabio started that a bit later, but I guess that's. No, that I started 19- that with Fabio. Oh, did you? In 1995. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get it right. Let's I get it right. It was still in '93. I'm no. sorry. I'm no, sorry. the very first release of um, yeah it was 1995. Actually, Creative Source. It's the 25th anniversary of Creative Source this year. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, good looking. 
I think it had already started maybe the year before. Yeah, yeah. And V Records had already started yeah, the year v before. Records, yeah. Mm. Um, Philly. Yeah, Philly. And like we just knew that uh, there was still a different sound. Like Fabio obviously had his kind of sound that was mm. different to Bookham's. Yeah. You know, Bookham was much more into the, the Eamon sound. Yeah. And then, so everyone had their own kind of sound. But, but I, w- I want to know a bit more about your DJ aftercare. And, and 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 you having yeah, having it was to, sounding too having, much like you, can, you don't even know. No, you don't you, even know. I know you're having to deal with like you know. <laughs> oh, it was ridiculous because then yeah, Monday it was like right, who's going to phone first? Yeah, go on. There weren't even mobile phones, and mobile phones were just coming in 1994. I remember mm. I got my first orange mobile phone in 1994, mm. and I've still got the same number to this day. Wow. Um, and then that started to make things a bit. We'd already just got a fax machine by then. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so Mondays were quite stressful. It was like, who's going to phone in first? Who's going to be moaning? Whose money am I going to have to try and get after the event? Who's been knocked? Who, who, who was money? Their money a little bit quicker. So keep keep paying for that one before before the. Thing. <laughs> yeah, no. Now some people were really good at making sure they got paid on the night. Yeah, they they weren't leaving. They, they were going to actually hold up the okay, promoter if yeah, they weren't yeah, getting their yeah. cash on the night. Yeah. Some of them were like, no, Sarah, I want to collect all of it. Because that's the thing, as we got to know certain promoters better, yeah, yeah. some of them wanted their money all on the night. Because yeah. then they'd have to come and pay me after. Mm. Everyone had their different... I had different re- relationship with every DJ. Yeah, yeah. You know, to be honest, Groove Rider, real... The, goes down to me still as one of the most hard-working men I've ever met, ever. Mm, yeah. Um he hated to ask people for money. He's it's really not in his character. He hates mm. it. He doesn't want to have to even say to someone. And he shouldn't well, really have to anyway, because you no. know that he's playing. So when he's done, make sure you have his money. Yes, and I as think soon as he his last records, they there you are, mate. Thanks very much. That is that is a good promoter. Yes, that's how they're supposed to do. Yes. Now, but I must say, even for myself, a bad promoter, agent, well, a good promoter, but wanting to dance. Sometimes couldn't get off the dance floor <laughs> right until the bitter end. So people knew they had to kind of, if Sarah was in a dripping with sweat in the middle of the dance floor, they weren't going to get paid till a bit later. But yeah, you know, if you're going to a big event and you've got to go on, because most of them were doing two or three gigs in a night by this yeah. time. By 1993, 94, it was so busy. They were working yeah. two or three gigs a night, starting in Coventry, going up to Liverpool, coming back down to Birmingham, and maybe London yeah. in the small hours, you know. Crazy. So they had yeah. no time to mess around. What were the wages by this point? Well, they what, were why, why, are you, why are you always no, on the money, man? No, no, because I'm not necessarily on, but it's just funny going from 200 quid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. To... No, well, still at this point, probably 250 for the Midlands. If you're wow. up in Liverpool, getting up to 400, yeah. No, and it then... costs a lot of money to get a dub plate cost cut, you know, and travelling up and down. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, how yeah. are they making enough money? No, well, absolutely ridiculous. And that's the thing, and that was proper dub plate time. I mean, yeah. that'd be over sometimes spending 400 pounds a week on dubs. Yeah. You know, and also they weighed a ton. Yeah. So then if you were... That's when the sort of the European scene started to pick up a bit. So then people started travelling. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and as you said earlier, half the time the record box didn't arrive if you were on a late flight out. Mm. You know, you'd turn up in Belgium without your records. Yeah. Couldn't do a thing. The airlines have got no no charter to cover that sort of thing. So mm. they'd just go, oh, sorry. Yeah. They'll get there in the morning. Well, we're flying back in the morning. No, you know, so then... That, that whole gig would be ruined. You know, you couldn't play unless someone lent you a few records or something. Mm. But, um, sorry, bring back to the question. Just a moment. Just, you're just saying it's still, it's at £200. Yeah. I, I so, just, I'm just wondering how they <clears throat> existed. Well, so then, obviously, as demand grew and grew, yeah. and then out, people yeah. would start, the, the European, because I'd say, well, you know, they're doing four gigs a night. Yeah. In the UK, mm. so unless you're happy to pay the four gigs worth, uh, yeah, okay, they're not yeah. going to come abroad. Yeah. So that became a bargaining point. It was mm. kind of like you know, unless you're going to compensate four gigs worth, they, they'll yeah. stay in the UK. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, literally, it was ridiculous. You know, the the turnover and the way the scene expanded. Then uh, computers came in. I can't even remember when I got my first Apple, or yeah, my first Mac. Mm. Um, the square one. Yeah. Tower one. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, then I almost came up with this thing where I thought, right, I'm now got this is getting really established. These guys are really in demand. And so we almost had an annual thing where annually the money would go up slightly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I sort of implemented this thing where every year in January, well, you know, the fees are going to go off a bit. So they Mm. knew that it was kind of going up. Uh, I can't remember the exact year, but probably about by 1998, 99, we suddenly got to a point where it had to go back registered. 
Mm. You know, so you could see that everyone was starting to earn a lot more. Yeah. The turnover had gone literally from zero to like yeah. way over half a million like in, a, in, in four or five years. Mm. It was all going really sort of well. Uh, and so I just had this thing where, yeah, it was almost like, unless unless it was someone we knew really well and they had a really small venue. See, I think I was fair because I was also a promoter of a small venue. Mm. I know that you do have a kind of a top floor yeah, yeah, yeah. of what you can actually pay. Some things are worth doing regardless. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not about, it's not about, sometimes it's not about the, the, the money. It's like, yeah. this is a, a, a great thing to do. And, and this crowd will get it. And, and a DJ will have a very fulfilled night there yeah. as well. So, so you, got, you know, you got that as well. And then obviously... You know, you what you DJs would, would want a payoff as well, which would be your bigger, uh, more <coughs> bigger promotion nights, wherever we could charge. Yeah, some of the capacities, well. it's yeah. like thousands sometimes, yeah. tens of thousands, mm. right? Yeah, really, like you know, at least twenty thousand, at least at mm. the sort of the big raves, and then obviously at this point, it. We had the um, you know what was the, what was the bill called again? You know where you the, oh, the, the, the right to party bill yeah, or whatever yeah. it was and all that, yeah. and and then all of us and then everything had to go much more to go in, legal. Clubs, we yeah, had to go yeah. to clubs, you know, and that's yeah. when you saw the development of the first super clubs, you know, like Ministry, yeah. you know, Fabric, and those came even later, much later, much later even. That was yeah, it. you know, so kind of like the whole nature of the scene had to change. Suddenly, you know, we were having to face the tax man. You know, even in the early days at uh, Peckham, we used to do Groove Connection nights at Peckham Laserdrome mm. every Saturday night. And um, literally as people came in, we were just collecting money into a bag. You mm. know, money was just going into a box or a bag, you know, and it really was like that in the early days. Yeah. Yeah. But everything quickly had to become very much more official. Taxman started breathing down everyone's necks, mm. seeing really what was going on. You know, and the whole scene did kind of change. And so then I was very, always very realistic, you know, uh, just thought, well, there is enough space for everyone. You mm. just have to book people cleverly. You don't clash things. Mm. You don't overlap things. There are people with bigger capacities charging a lot who can pay more. Still try and do a more realistic fee for people. I'd sit down and do the maths and work out how mm. much they could pay. You know, and, and sometimes they'd go, well, that's not enough. I'm like, well, yeah, but look, you know, they're charging a fiver. They're going to get 150 people in their max. They it, can't pay it, I more. Must, I must say, I, fa I found it very funny sometimes with some DJs who had no grasp of the maths mm -mm. of like, like thinking they could still have the same money they, they had when they was doing a massive event and and when they're doing something like speed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I, it blew my mind sometimes with some people who like... But I think some people still think that now. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then, and I think that's the sort of the, the, the then, oh, well, I'm going to go to a bigger agent then. Because must, I'm going to get more money, but you, you get know, lost, you get lost. Yeah, in the you're bigger, sort of eliminating yourself from a whole load yeah, of really yeah. good quality gigs, and I think that's when you see who's in it for money, yeah. who's in it more for the quality, yeah. where it's going musically. So, did you ever at one point have to tell a DJ, "I thought you was all about the music, man"? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, actually, I did. Yeah. You, you know, I don't want to get yeah. too nasty no, about these sort of things. Nobody knows what I can imagine. But you know when speed is in its heyday, some people get accustomed yeah. to a lifestyle very quickly. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I was. That's why I was asking about the money because there was a peak boom and it kind of went up and then it went down again. And it's yeah, how people deal with that and because mm. it, it's not it's not like that anymore. Now I mean we have Paris Hilton playing in Ibiza for a million oh. quid, but that's like another. Yeah, you know what I mean totally different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, then that was like the real the DJ's kind of high era, right? I think. In terms of that life and getting paid. Yeah, sorry, I got distracted and thinking about Paris Hilton, but uh, I can't remember what you were saying at the start. I had a, a I had a good answer for that. Um, <laughs> no, now it's gone like completely wacko, just fame over everything. But but back then, I think I don't know. You get the idea if, that people if, were getting paid if, if, if fairly you, for their. If you were if you were starting now, mm. how do you think what what major difference would you have in place now, rather than because obviously. Back in 89, 90, when, when you was doing all this, it was like, it was brand new to everyone. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of energy, a lot of love for the music, a, a crazy enthusiasm, you know what I mean, that was going on then. And not to say that this isn't the case now, but you would have to say the same enthusiasm. But I see, it seems today um, that the youngsters are a bit more 
savvy, would you say? I can't, you know what I mean? And 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 the and the well, in terms of protecting themselves, you mean? Yeah, and their, yeah, yeah. Their sort and, of and, like yeah. their publishing stuff like that. Everything, yeah. And how they seem a bit more business orientated. And and, I, and but surely that's just learning from us. Yeah, of, yeah, of course. You know, obviously. unfortunately, we made the mistakes oh. and learned <laughs> learned the ropes. Mm. You know, and I literally what was trying to set a whole new career structure mm. which I, I will say actually I don't blow my own trumpet a lot but I do actually think I did that mm. I think I did establish a way that DJs got proper careers out mm. of it very soon I got all these then, then people that were thinking right we want to set up an agency now yeah. mm. what so, about that era yeah. oh that was crazy because then people wanted to work for me mm. but obviously I knew they wanted to come and see Find what I was doing and then they yeah, leave my contacts and go eight, yeah. you know and that's the reality of it yeah, yeah. now also the reality is that I was so busy I couldn't get off the phone yeah. You know, mm. I'd already had like at this point at the height in the 90s, I had about four people in the offices answering the phone, mm. you know. But um, so that was when people started, well, this isn't going away. Yeah, I mm. want to do it. So I'll try and go and work for Sarah and then I'll set up yeah. my one. Mm. And obviously I had to protect what was mine. Mm. And and I hoped at that point that I had the loyalty with everyone that would stand the test of time. But yeah. everyone's always getting into their own thing. Everyone else's labels were getting bigger, mm. you know. And people said to me, Sarah, why don't you tie everyone down? Uh, well, I don't think that's necessarily good for creativity. No. Yeah. I think people have to find that's, their that's own a, paths. That's the same like when we was at Reinforced, we never had a contract with anyone where they where they were, weren't allowed to go elsewhere and do their own thing. We never, we never yeah. done no. that. We, it's a, and it was a half-assed piece of paper to say the truth anyway, because it's just agreement on that track. Yeah. Whatever. So I, I hear what you're saying. You know what I mean? You know, and it's not worth the paper it's written on. I mean, ultimately, mm. if someone's going to break contract, they're going to anyway. Yeah. You're going to get into a nasty fight. Mm. Yeah. You know, and I'd always thought that. Mm. I just felt, you know, if people can see that there's progression and things are going in the right direction. But it, there was a point where it got too big for me to contain. Yeah. You know, mm. uh, there was too much creativity. You know, and if you look at the guys are all working now, they're getting bigger and bigger. Their labels, their mm. own stables are getting bigger and bigger, you know. Mm. So then you had some of them thinking, oh, well, you're more in the drum and bass scene now, so you're not really taking enough uh, care of us that are more in the jungle scene. Like, you know, you're, you're, doing, it, it, you're really, doing more for it, Fabio than you really, are for us. Was it really such a... I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, not, it's the same thing in my eyes. It's the same thing near enough to me. It is, but, but the bookings but were different. Yeah, and no, they, I think certain people then thought that because of the relationship, people might mm. be getting mm. better treatment. Mm. Yeah. I think I did the reverse to try and prove the fact that yeah. it wasn't like that. You know, Fabio and I always got on very well on that level. Mm. Uh, very quickly after the speed thing. And then obviously Bookham left to go off and do mm. set up logical progression at the time. Mm. I think, you know, somebody, a bigger money kind of guy came to him with this idea that right, this is it now, it's mm. going to blow up. Mm. Unfortunately, that put an end to good looking on the spot. Yeah. And not good looking, uh, me working with yeah, Bookham. Yeah, yeah. You know, good looking went off then and then started mm. their progression sessions. And, um, you know, so I just think there was always a slight thing where, well, maybe Sarah's interests are not as open for all of us. Mm. And But, you know, I'm, pretty professional in the way I work. I just I wouldn't give a sort of special treatment to Fabio. Mm. Sounds really silly, but obviously we had our own projects going on. By this time we then set up Swerve mm. yeah. in nineteen ninety six and um and Creative Source was running. Mm. So on that level I was also getting more swamped and busy with the stuff that was happening just spinning off from Swerve and from Creative Source. Mm. So then I had to have other girls in the office that were then helping me with the bookings. But I think people felt like, well, well, if I'm going to be at Groove Connection and you're not the one doing my book, is I'm not going to stay here. It became really ridiculous. But I think because it was like just organic and it was growing, no one knew how it was going yeah. to go. So then they thought they weren't getting my proper attention. Yeah, <laughs> I find all that stuff hilarious. Yes, it was very silly. But it, these were valid. These were arguments I was having to have on a regular basis with certain guys. Well, you know, I don't, you know, uh, I want you doing my bookings. I don't want anyone else doing it. But ultimately, they then went off and worked with other people to do their bookings. So that, yeah, yeah. you can read into that whatever. But people are going to make their own minds up on anything, aren't they? What can you do? Yeah, it's kind yeah. of draining. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exhausted. No, really yeah. exhausting. And I, I come across, maybe I come across quite militant, but I'm actually not. You know, I'm much more into people following what they're meant to do. Mm. I think with any relationship in life, if, it, if it's meant to be together, or it, you'll come back around to be with that person. I'm very yeah. much into that. Mm. Did you, did it, did it start to get you down? Or, you know, this sort of feeling, that, that kind of, because in the beginning, obviously, it's all, let's go together and let's, and then this, that, when that started, it, 
didn't start did start to sort of take a toll. You started not to like sort of look forward to going into the office and dealing with all. No, that. definitely. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, you know, and then obviously there was just so much. And I realised that I was actually having a kind of a problem just with the, that amount of phone calls. Yeah. You know, it did actually help when the um, the fax machines came. And then when when we got computers, then everything started to change. Yeah. And the internet hadn't started then. Yeah. You know, it was literally... No emails. I, I, no, no email. Yeah. No websites. I literally had, I think, one the second or third website in the UK after yeah. BT. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Before Sony, before man. anyone. Mm. But were you were you taking time off? You know, how are you looking after yourself? I can't imagine you. You don't no, sound like you had a holiday in about up. ten years. No, I didn't for time. ten years, and then I think I d went to the extreme and I started going because uh, we were making some more money by then. We started going and disappearing off to the Caribbean or yeah. Seychelles for a month at a time. Yeah. Um, was that just easy? had to get away. How was it detuning from all that? Because it take it takes a while, you know, when you've been living at such a sort of high frequency. Mm. Yeah, no, at least a week before you'd even start to relax. That's yeah. why I, I thought we've got to go for at least three yeah. or four weeks, otherwise you're back. Yeah. yeah. But then it used to be then, right, try and stay calm, try and hold that kind of refreshed mind. But you have to, the thing is, the music business operates at such a fast pace. Yeah. And that in particular, it was like, you're straight back in. You've got to get up to that speed, otherwise you're not going to be able to actually do what you've got to do. Yeah. So straight away, the holiday was kind of like gone. Yeah, you know, you'd hold it for a couple of days and think, right, no, I've got to get right back to speed. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to do what I've got to do. Yeah, and it did become very tiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Further down the line, I think the whole thing just kind of blew up. I think my adrenals, everything just went. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Finally, That's where the night sweats come from, right? <laughs> I get oh, that or menopause. It's a burnt-out <laughs> adrenal gland. Someone told me. I was mm. like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, the Goes night like sweat. A thousand degrees at night. <laughs> yeah. Look after yourself, people. Yeah. <laughs> wow, this has been amazing. Yeah. Very, very appreciative for you coming. That's a good that insight it, yeah. to, Incredible. to um, the whole world of... Um, What's your take on it now, where it's at now, mm. DJs and agents? Well, and the thing was, you know, obviously, I mean, Swerve is still running. Mm. It's not like it was. It used to be weekly. Mm. And then when the Velvet Rooms closed, we went to the end. Yeah. And the end was amazing, amazing, and that was unreal, a brilliant time. And then when the end closed, we then had to go to Cable. Oh, yeah. And then Cable, like under the arches um, down near Bermondsey Street. Okay. Really nice venue, but same thing happened. Um, Network Rail yeah. slash yeah. that, so yeah. that went overnight. And literally then Clubland's kind of changing. Mm. You know, it's kind of like suddenly you had bigger sets of groups of people owning clubs. It becomes much harder to find venues that will actually believe in what you're doing, yeah. give yeah, you a chance time. to make that's it take yeah. off. Yeah. They want to take a 10 grand bar take yeah. on the first night. Yeah. Uh, uh, otherwise, they don't want you in there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that really upsets me because the quality nights, and that you must experience that with what you do. Mm. You know, it's kind of like it, there's no, there's, there's no mean, understanding or yeah, belief exactly. in anything. They don't, they don't understand why these any of these scenes and these movements have how they grew and what what it take what it took for them to um to come about and um you can't treat everything every night with the same no like um the same method as you do as your peak saturday night whatever no. thing that's going on you know what i mean because like, velvet rooms took time yeah, i was there for a year before yeah, it, it, was... it takes everything takes time and then, yeah. then it's like oh because what night were you there was that tuesdays no we was there sunday sundays, night. Yeah. sundays that yeah. was co-op was it yeah yeah okay now, obviously, I was just sort of always flattened by Sunday night, but mm. Karina and other people I knew used to go to co-op regularly. Mm. I think yeah. I did maybe go once, mm. twice. I'm not going to... Yeah, but... Um, but amazing, but still took time, you yeah. know. So that mm -hmm. must mean there was someone good at Velvet Rooms that allowed, because both of you had yeah. Yeah. serious... Well, that was Nikki there. Holloway, who mm. actually was... Oh, was it? Wow. A DJ himself, you yeah. know, and one of the absolute yeah. starters of uh, the Balearic scene a, a in Ibiza. A lot, of the, a lot of the clubs and the venues that we, we're talking about Back in those days, were owned by people who either former DJs mm -hmm. or they were musicians or whatever. Like you know, there's a lot of that, so they kind yeah. of understood and yeah, the organic yeah, feeling yeah, yeah. that something's got to grow. But then there's some people who just come in and they just see the, the sort of the cream on the top high life of it. I know like, this place is gonna be grand. We're gonna like lot, I'm gonna sell lots of champagne and all this kind of stuff. And there's mm. that lot as well, like yeah. who are who kind of made 
London changed quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, well, the China White kind of vibe and all that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right, I mean, right. okay, yeah. There's a place for there is a place for everyone, but it's you know. No, and now you've got these sort of groups where you've got like, uh, you know, the Mothership Group, which own a lot of the nice clubs down in um, Hoxton sort of area, mm. but they're still getting such a fast walk up on a Saturday night that they'd rather have their drinkers in there. Mm. And you get these guys who go off to university and study music and business studies mm. who don't even know who we are. They mm. don't actually know what we went through to establish this scene and how it is today. Mm. You know, and you walk in there and they're like, well, no, no, we're booked up right until Q3. Um, I didn't know what the guy was talking about. Mm. You know, no, we can't do that. You know, if we don't get, we have to get at least seven and a half grand on the bar. Mm. You know, and these are still nice venues, quite small that would work and you still can't get into them. So it is a different ball game altogether now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could have bored you census all about all the how the festival scene grew and everything, but yeah, oh, well, there's not we enough time. We, we, we'll have we'll to have do that, that another that time. Like another time. Open yeah. university level podcast. <laughs> today. This is really gonna be tough to beat on a factual yeah. historical level. Hmm. Yeah, this is Sarah Sandy actually, Groove Connection. Thank you. You didn't ask me my surname before. No, I've never known your surname. <laughs> silly, it's a silly one. Sarah Sandy. Terrible Dego, actually. <laughs> No, first name basis. Yeah, and what's your surname? Yeah, well. Oh, you're in hiding, he's yeah? So he's, he's in hiding. <laughs> the sad cop. I like none of that stuff, anyway. <laughs> All right. Are we going to finish now? No, it's ended I've been here, holding yeah. it. Right. I've been so enraptured. It's like being in a really good movie and needing to go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> just holding right, it. And me, well, yeah. Charlie goes to the toilet. Thank you very much, Thanks Sarah. so much. Thanks thank you. Sarah, oh, Sandy, thank you very much. Thank yeah. you, guys. <laughs> Lovely. Bye.